Many individuals try to find success on a daily basis. But what defines this success? Where does it come from? When you find a passion in your life and pursue this passion, everything can come together to form success. This is Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. Our guests will motivate you to take the next step to your success. Now, here's your host, David Wallach. Good morning, y'all. Welcome to our weekly episode of Taking Care of Business. According to my guest bio, uh, she had 170 business ideas before she landed on the one business that is her focus today. I'm not sure we'll be able to go over and cover all other 169 ideas that didn't come to fruition. However, what we will try to explore is the process my guest went through until she landed on her current business and passion. My guest this morning is Ali Boone, founder of Hipster Investments in Los Angeles. Good morning, Ali. Good morning. I'm excited to be here. I was cracking up at the 100. I'm like, oh, I'm glad I don't remember the 169 other ideas. We'll, we'll test your memory later. <laughs> oh, okay, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> well, anyway, welcome to Taking Care of Business, and thank you for being my guest this morning. Oh, well, thank um, you for having me. I'm excited. Um, as always, we like to get to know our guests uh, on a personal level before we dive into the, the, their current business. And uh, after all, the past and present personal life have an impact on how we got uh, to be business owners. Um, so my question, my question to you, Ali, you know, my son lives in L.A. and his wife lives in L.A. with him. None of them is from L.A. Are you from L.A. or you were born somewhere else and L.A. was the kind of the place you landed? Well, like most LAers, uh, I am not from here. It's kind of a melting pot, as they say. Every now and then, occasionally, we meet people that are from here and they're like, ooh, like, are you real? <laughs> um, no, I actually grew up in the South. I'm from Georgia, which I don't run into that many Southerners in LA. But yeah, I was actually born in Miami, but I grew up primarily in Atlanta. I see. And so, what do you remember from growing up in Atlanta and on the east side of, of the US? Um, other than the humidity and the size of the bugs in comparison to Los Angeles, uh, <laughs> um, you know, it's funny growing up in Georgia. I mean, it's, it's the Bible belt. It's a very, um, it's a, it's just a very different lifestyle. Most people work nine to five. Um, I was always kind of considered a mover and a shaker compared to a lot of, uh, Georgia folks. It's a little bit, I don't know if more simple life is the right word, but it's, you know, it's a lot easier to not find as many driven people. So I was kind of, I was a little bit of a busybody for there, but I actually really loved growing up in the South. I, I, I think I'm a California girl, but I, I love my Southern roots. I watch college football every Saturday, so we can't schedule <laughs> podcasts on Saturdays. Um, my accent comes out if I get back to the South or if I drink a beer or two. Um, yeah, I, I love it, but I, I don't know that I could ever go back. California is definitely kind of, it's kind of where the fun is for me. I see. Uh, and you mentioned in your answer that you were a mover or shaker or you are a mover or shaker right now as well. But uh, growing up as a kid, what kind of kid were you active, uh, a bookworm, you know, sports? I was, it's funny. I hated reading books when I was little. So my mom was really stressed about me not reading. So she actually at one point offered to pay me if I would uh, like increase my allowance. If I'd sit down and read for 30 minutes, she would pay me to do that. She was so desperate. <laughs> that, that, that was your first business? Well, actually, I hated reading so much. I didn't even take her up on it. She even at one point, I used to hate making my bed also. 
And she even asked a psychologist about it, like how to make me make my bed. And he told her to pick her battles, but she even offered to pay me like five bucks every time I'd make the bed. And I've always, if there's nothing else about me, I've always been very clear on what I like and I don't like, and I did not like making my bed. So I passed up that money also, which in hindsight, now I'm thinking maybe I'm not quite the entrepreneur that I thought I was. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, every entrepreneur has uh, many offers, and we have to choose which ones we take. Uh. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta. I don't have time to make the bed. I can make a lot more money elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I see. So, uh, you know, as a kid, you mentioned uh, right, right now. You mentioned you didn't have time to, uh, or didn't want to, you know, uh, set up your bed or clean the house or whatever it needed to be done. What was your dream? You know, growing up, what what did you think you'll be? Well. I don't know if I knew exactly what I thought I would be. I was a little bit of a, um, I don't want to say a studious nerd because I wasn't that nerdy, but I kind of had it. Like I grew up with the belief that you get all A's, then you go to school and you get a secure job, like the very traditional kind of mindset. And so I always kind of believed on one hand that I would just do that and I'd do something. I don't know. I figured I'd do something smart. But on the other hand, I, I never really liked anyone telling me what to do. So I, I remember being a kid, I was like 13. I remember thinking I really wanted to make a lot of money and it was almost like a personal challenge at that point, but I didn't really have any foresight on how exactly that was going to happen. It was just kind of a, I don't know what I thought I'd be when I grew up. Um, I don't know. I was too busy doing math problems. I think to I see. think that far ahead. And, uh, you know, now you're an entrepreneur and you have your business, but growing up, family, anyone in your family, your siblings, parents, did any of them become like an entrepreneur or wasn't or is an entrepreneur with business ownership? Or you mentioned earlier, nine to five, very kind of Southern kind of lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny. Uh, my grandfather on my dad's side, he was a huge entrepreneur investor. And he, unfortunately, but by the time I got into entrepreneurship and investing, he passed away. So I actually didn't get to utilize him as much as now I wish I had. Um, I remember at one point, he always told the grandkids that if we would ever want to invest, he would help us financially. So when I decided to buy my first house, I went running off to grandpa. I was like, grandpa, grandpa, it's time. I'm going to buy my new house. And he was like, that's not an investment. I was like, what do you mean, grandpa? Of course it's an investment. And we went back and forth and I now realize why he said that. And he never helped me with that. But the funny part was that my parents um, and my couple of my aunt and uncles, they have owned several businesses because of my grandfather. Like they either inherited them or he sold it to them or whatever. And so when I was trying to be, get into entrepreneurship, I was really struggling because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to do this. I didn't know how to start a business. And so I kept going to them asking, saying, listen, guys, you own businesses, like help a sister out. And they made a pretty fair point. They're like, well, we own them now, but we weren't the ones who started them. So we actually have no idea what to tell you. So my first year of entrepreneurship, I was even on food stamps. I was like, you know, for having a family full of business people, I sure am kind of on my own (laughs) for this, but I was like, oh, well, I guess you're right. They never, they never created the business. They just, it got dumped in their laps and they had to run it after that. So yeah, I, I, on one hand, I had all the business people and brains and investors and everything. And on the other hand, it helped me absolutely zero. <laughs> Zilch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I don't know which is worse. <laughs> I see. Uh, and, you know, if I, you know, call one of your teachers or, or high school buds in, in, in Georgia and ask them, what do you think about Ali? What do you think they will say? Oh, as a kid, I guarantee you, 
they would say that I was really sweet and really smart, but that I should loosen up occasionally. Like, I was the kind of kid that I would have fun. I had great fun with my friends or whatever, but I was always kind of controlled. Like, I've I've just never been one of those people. Well, now I kind of can, but I, I would never just go, like, flail around and be a berserk kind of kid. Like, I was always kind of in control to some degree. So... I, sadly, I think my teachers loved me. I was I was the cute little kid, and I always behaved most of the time and all that kind of stuff. But I actually think they might have told they would have said that they would have liked to have seen me loosen up occasionally. <laughs> <laughs> um, university, college. What was your kind of experience going to university? Where did you go, and what did you kind of take? Well, here's a little bit of a funny. Um, so my first couple of years, I was at Georgia Southern, which was just my first couple of year of core classes and learning how to drink like a champion. Um, <laughs> so I believe I excelled at that. Um, and then I moved. My goal was to be uh, a pilot, fly airplanes. And there were two colleges near Georgia, Auburn and Alabama and Middle Tennessee State and Tennessee that had professional pilot programs. So I transferred to Middle Tennessee State and to be a pro pilot, uh, get a pro pilot degree. And once I got there, I realized that maybe having a degree in pro pilot was kind of dumb should I ever decide not to be a pro pilot, Since, especially given that I could get all my flight ratings outside of college and do something different. So I switched from pro pilot to uh, aerospace engineering technology. It was not a fancy aerospace engineering program, but it was at least the engineering kind of thing. And I got my degree in that. And then I went to grad school at Georgia Tech and I got a master's degree in aerospace engineering, which was easily the least graceful thing I've ever done in my entire <laughs> life. I didn't have the background for it at all. Like I'd kind of learned engineering and I kind of knew aerospace, but to suddenly be at like one of the top ranked uh, grad schools and rocket science next to MIT, I was easily the dumbest person in the entire department, no question about it. And then, so I got the master's in aerospace engineering. And then right after I started my real estate company, uh, so I did go work in that industry for a little while. And then once I jumped out of that and started my real estate company, I got another master's degree out here in California, which California easily is the only place you can do this. But I now also have a master's degree in spiritual psychology. So whatever direction you want to take that. I originally started that program because I thought it would be hilarious to tell people that I had a master's in aerospace engineering and a master's in spiritual psychology, but I actually ended up really loving the psychology degree and I do a lot of stuff with that now. I see. And, and for me, it was very interesting when I, uh, when we were doing the research to see that you have those two master degrees uh, that are so far apart from each other. Mm -hmm. Like I like to, uh, I like to call them. I have my left brain degree and my right brain degree. I see. And your point is that we shouldn't fly on airplanes that you designed, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't even think I, I don't even think my, I ever got a wing attached to a fuselage. <laughs> like, I was, I was a pretty, well, and you know, when I decided to go the engineering route, part of that was that pilots starting out really don't make a lot of money and their schedules are terrible. I was like, oh, well, engineers make a lot of money. I'll just do that because it's got to be the same thing. It is a hundred percent not the same thing. And I'm a really good pilot. I still teach. I'm a instructor. I teach flying. But flying airplanes is a very big picture kind of thing. Where engineering, they focus on the most minute, miniature details that I really, it just makes me want to walk face first into a concrete wall. Like, I don't, I hate details. I don't care about them. I don't like them. I don't understand them. And so the whole time I was like, can I just be back in an airplane? Like, I just, I, I would much rather fly. So it was kind of a... 
oopsie on my part thinking, you know, I, I have engineering tendencies. Don't get me wrong. I can still yeah. work hella spreadsheet, but, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was something I just didn't know what I was getting into, but it's all part of that learning experience. Um, was it easy or hard to find a job once you got your uh, master's in engineering, in aerospace engineering? What was it, your first job out of university? It was actually extremely easy for me. Um, I had a few things working, two major things working in my favor. Number one, I was a female in the industry, not to play that card, but it, it helped. And But the big thing that I actually got hired at a, um, one of the nation's largest defense contractor companies uh, before I finished my master's because they needed, they saw that I was a pilot. And because there's so little crossover oftentimes with the engineers and the pilots, they needed that kind of pilot liaison kind of, you know, someone who had the flying experience because so many of the engineers are working on planes, they're designing things, but they don't actually fly them. So from a usability standpoint, I was kind of a golden ticket. So I got, I actually started my uh, first job, I think it was in my last semester of my master's degree. So they actually took me on, which kind of screwed me to be honest, because I, then I had to go in at a lower pay grade and they promised they would up me as soon as I finished my master's, which no, but um, yeah, so it was actually extremely easy and I was able to bounce around. I got a lot of promotions. I don't know why, because I didn't really do anything. Um, but yeah, it was it was pretty in that particular industry. It really, I mean, I don't know if it's because I was a female or being a pilot. Like I, there were a lot of opportunities for sure. I see. Um, I read about two or three versions of your resume. And, <laughs> I'm all over the place. <laughs> and, but there's one thing that is common in all three, and that you say in one of your first sentences in your on your resume say, um, from the first day. In the great cubicle, I knew <laughs> I knew I wanted out. Yeah. So how come? Minute, like, what, 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 didn't, what didn't you count? What didn't you like about the cubicle? Well, leading up to that, for starters, I in grad school I was working as a flight instructor, so my office every day was the the clear blue skies. I was flying airplanes, and I was at the airport, and my only outfit was like a polo shirt and khaki shorts. Like it was really just. I mean, it was dreamy to sound kind of nerdy about it, um, but the the sky was my office. That was that was my jam. And now my first engineering job, I not only had to walk underground about a mile through a tunnel to get to my cubicle. Then I look in my cubicle, the whole thing's just gray and drab. And then I look down at what I was wearing, and I hate. I'm a terrible dresser. I was even on a makeover show a few years ago. Like I'm that bad of a dresser. <laughs> And so to trust me to put business casual clothes on myself, it was atrocious. Like I looked like a fish out of water and I just, you know, engineering for me, aside from hating the details, I'm a, I'm a talker. I could talk to a fence post. I love talking to people and that's really all I care about. And really? I, did, really? I didn't notice that during the interview. <laughs> <laughs> terrible, terrible. Um, yeah, it, you know, engineers are, they're, they're a lot more introverted. They're very focused on what they're doing. And I just wanted to say hi to everybody all the time and everyone's heads were down. And I was like, wow, I think, I think my soul just left through my feet. Like I, nothing about it. I, oh, it was, I just, I just knew I was like, uh oh, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> I have one question before you have to go in a commercial break. And that is, uh, you know, remember I said there are 169, ideas that you didn't you didn't kind of uh, take on can you remember a couple of them that you can share with us 
Oh, it, they were terrible. One was like buying a hotel and renting a hotel. What some were but the the most recent kind of promising one was buying self storage facilities and running those because my my family actually has some self storages. I was like, oh, I'll figure that out. Oh god! And then it was everything from like doing an online job as a recruiter to pretty much if you can think of it, I pr- it was probably in that <laughs> 169. I, I mean, I was just desperate. I was like, I have got to make something happen. So yeah, you name it, I it was one of my ideas. I see. I see. Ali, thank you. Uh, we have to take our first commercial break. Uh, to our listeners, you can open a new tab and check Ali's website at www.hipsterinvestments.com. Go to top of the homepage and explore the latest deal, as well as read about Ali and the Hipster Investment team. We will meet you here on the other side of the commercials. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Colon offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune in to Destination University, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation, hosted by Elizabeth Heaton, and featuring a team of college coach experts. We'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. 
Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D I V I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We are back with Taking Care of Business, and my guest today is Ali Boone, owner of Hipster Investments. So, Ali, before we went on our first commercial break, I asked you about 169 ideas that didn't translate into a business, but there's one that did translate into a business. So, what brought you to decide to become a real estate investor? Um, Sorry, uh, it's a tough one, I know. Divine intervention, fate. Uh, one of the um, something mysterious. No, I actually, um, when I was trying to figure out what to do for to get out of corporate, that was my goal. Is I needed out of my corporate job, and I didn't know how to do that. I didn't have a specific skill or service, or how do I start a business, or what do I do in real estate? Like those were the things that I always heard would get you out of a regular job, but I didn't know what to do with them. And so for about almost five years, I really just kind of explored everything. Kind of those 169 business ideas that came to me in five years, and. At the end of it, I always say like I had that many business ideas and none of them worked. And the one that worked, the difference was it essentially came to me. I don't I hesitate to say that because I don't want to sound like I didn't put any work into it. But with all of the other business ideas I had, I had the idea for the finished product, if you will, like, oh yeah, I'll buy a hotel and I'll rent a hotel and okay, how do I make that happen? And so I'd kind of work backwards. And the difference between hipster and all of the rest of the business ideas is I never knew what hipster was going to become. I didn't know what it was going to be from day to day. If I look at it today, I couldn't have dreamt that up in a million years, six years ago when we started. And so it really was the only business idea that I had that worked in the opposite direction. So even to this day, I don't know what it's going to become versus coming up with the finished product first and working backwards to make it happen, if that makes any sense. So in the midst of all of that, um, the pieces of it kind of came to me in all of my exploration of everything else. And it, it kind of built itself from there. I don't know if that's a helpful answer mm-hmm. at all. Yeah. Um, during that process, was there a kind of an event or a person that kind of helped you or directed you or kind of you, you followed and, and said, okay, this is what I should do? Or it was just, you know, by coincidence? Well, I would say it's a little bit of a mix of two people. So when I first started trying to figure out how to get out of my corporate job, I a friend of mine recommended me reading Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. Yeah, and I yeah. think anyone who's ever thought even thought about real estate investing has probably read this book. But that book really ignited the fire in my head of like, okay, wait a minute, I've been doing something wrong. Like, how am I, you know... And, his whole spiel about passive income, I was like, wait, that's what I want. Like, I, oh, tell me more. And so that book resonated so much with me that I ended up reading, let's see, I'm looking at my bookshelf now. There's probably 
nine of his books up there. Like I really, once I found the author that I resonated with, I just read more and more and more. And so his, everything I read in his books kind of laid the groundwork. And then in the midst of all of my networking and everything, I met one guy who was in real estate. And when I met with him to go over, it was actually a contract for an investment, which I didn't realize was going to lead me into the world of real estate investing. When I met him, he was in khaki shorts, flip-flops. We were at a roof, rooftop pool deck. He didn't have a briefcase. He didn't have a laptop. And he was this cool, chill dude who had just traveled the world a little bit. He made his own hours. And I was looking at him. And we were talking about this real estate contract. But I kept looking at him. And at one point, I was like, I kind of pointed at him. I was like, okay, I need to know more about what's happening here. What, how do you, what, okay, tell me more about this lifestyle of yours. Like, I need to know what you're doing because that's what I want. And so after the Robert Kiyosaki books really kind of laid the foundation, I met the real life guy who became my mentor over the last however many years. And so I, it's kind of that idea of my favorite quote is don't take advice from someone you wouldn't trade shoes with. Like I wanted to trade shoes with this guy and I'm like, I need to know more about what you're doing. And he became my mentor and he talked more and more about how he does things and he yeah, he really, so I'd say it's the combination of two of them because had I met him before I had all the information, I, it may not have clicked in exactly the same way, but by getting the kind of foundational knowledge, if you will, then he kind of came in as like the practical application helper, if you will. And do you uh, use a mentor today as well, six years in? How, how important is mentorship for, for you know, people like us that are, you know, business owners and the buck stops here and, you know, you're alone at the top. How important is it mentorship or business coaching? Well, I probably, I, I shouldn't say that I can speak for everyone, but for me personally, it was absolutely the only way I got through it. And it's the only reason that I'm still doing it today because, you know, it's one thing to get, have somebody who's already paved the path, if you will, to help give you the kind of logistics and like, okay, well this, you may not want to do that. You may want to consider this, like just kind of the things on paper. But what I ran into, and I'm sure a lot of entrepreneurs do it is entrepreneurship is a little bit of an emotional roller coaster. And in my case, that's a very um, significant understatement. It was, you know, there was a lot of, panic and there was a lot of emotions and there's a lot of unknowing and there's you know for me being this control freak engineer pilot who had control of everything of her life beforehand now I've thrown myself into entrepreneurship where all I, I learned that all I could really control was what I did in a day I couldn't control the outcome I couldn't make someone buy rental properties I couldn't I didn't have the same level of control so for me it was just this like roller coaster of sanity and so that's where i think that even more than the logistics side of it is where my mentor because there were multiple times i just wanted to walk right off the cliff and so we even kind of <laughs> started laughing about like how often he's made me take a step back from the cliff <laughs> he's like you know like i'm ready to just jump and be done with it and he's like well let's you know let's let's step it back just a little bit. And, you know, because he had been there, he had done that. He understood what I was experiencing. And so he was able to, in those moments, pretty much every time I was standing at the edge of the cliff, ready to be done with it and go back to a nine to five, he was able to kind of talk me off the ledge and then like, okay, well, let's consider this. And it worked every time. And really, I mean, I think back now, if he hadn't been there, I'd I don't, I don't know if I'd probably be homeless on the beach because I don't think I could ever go back to a nine to five job. But either way, I don't think it would have worked out quite as well as it did. 
Well, at least, uh, you know, homeless on the beach in California is better than homeless here in Calgary. It's a little bit too chillier here. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. I will say it gets a little chilly here at night, but in comparison to Calgary, yeah, I, I guess I can't use the word chilly. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ali, when, when you decided to start or to dive into this real estate world, uh, what were the first steps you took and, and, you know, what are some of the challenges you were facing at the time? Um. Well, you know, the obvious challenge really, my business is, I'm actually trying to work to make this not be the case, but so far my business has been 100% dependent on people buying investment properties. And especially with where the market is right now, like sales are really slowing down across the board, whether it's primary homes, investment property, everyone is slowing down on the buying and it, it's really ignited a fire under me that I need other you know, things to keep the business going should everybody stop buying real estate. So with with my income being based on real estate commissions, more or less, that can be fairly terrifying because I can go months at a time with no income. And, you know, so the, in the first couple of years of business, the biggest thing was, am I going to be able to feed myself and am I going to be able to pay rent? And I really never knew that. I mean, it's much different now, but I never knew that month to month. And it's like, well, I don't have any sign of sales coming in. How am I going to pay my rent next month? Or how am I whatever? And again, being that engineer pilot control freak who had a pay solid paycheck and no financial problems her whole life, that was fairly terrifying. And it really caused me to have to learn a certain amount of, I don't know if surrender is the right word, but kind of a trust kind of thing of like, again, the only control I have is to do the best that I can every single day and just trust that I'm going to put food, well, I say on the table, I actually don't have a kitchen in my apartment, um, mm -hmm. you know, food in my lap. So that was the big thing. It was really, I would easily say that I, I this is, this may be different for a lot of people. I've always been fine with my head and with my mind. If I need to think something through, I'm, I have a pretty good handle on that. Like I've never struggled in that way with problem solving, with getting myself out of a pickle. If I can think my way through it, it's great. So that part of it, while it was, it kept me busy and I was constantly doing things for me, it was more of the emotional side because I had never really had to be in that position before. And I, you know, to not be able to engineer my way through it was very humbling. So for me, it was more of the emotional component, not to sound like a total girl, but I kind of learned how to, I had to learn to be a girl in this whole, <laughs> like, what are these feeling things? Like, what? <laughs> My God, these are exhausting. Um, that, yeah, that, but I think, you know, it's, it's, okay, it's okay to share your feeling on my show. It's okay. <laughs> Thank you. I, I feel like this is a safe space. Yes. <laughs> and I didn't, I, and I didn't uh, learn uh, psychology. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you didn't have to get the degree for that one. <laughs> so, you know, you, you mentioned that you had uh, the challenges to start. And then I think that on your resume, you even mentioned, or in your email, you sent me, you mentioned even food stamps. Mm -hmm. So how, how were, were you able to grow your business? Because I, I see today that over $18 million in deals, very successful. So how, what did you do? What did you control in your, in your actions that made you successful and able you to grow your business? Well, my answer for that is two parts. I mentioned one of them already, which the things that I was able to control, or the thing that I was able to control, and this was really an eye-opening moment when this clicked in my head of literally the only thing I can control is what I do every day. And I, I can't necessarily control the outcome. I can't necessarily control 
at like what any of it's going to do, but I can control the effort that I put in. So that's when I had to switch to this mindset of instead of solving a problem, I had to just do the best that I could. So that was one part of it. And then the big thing that my mentor guy had, he constantly had to put this in my head. It kind of goes into that idea of slow and steady wins the race. And so while I was kind of hoping for some overnight success, it's it was almost like drip marketing because my brand and my company is really based on my personality. Like the big thing that worked for my company is I'm a writer and I was writing for a very big uh, real estate investing website. And so my name was getting out there. People were reading my stuff. They were hearing what I was saying. And it's it's a great thing to do, but it's slow because people don't get to know you right away. Like it, it, it takes a while of them to listen to you before they're like, hey, you know, maybe she knows what she's talking about. So this idea of slow and steady wins the race. And he had told me, him and I both really respect Gary Vaynerchuk. I love his story. I really respect what he teaches. Um, but his story, what you know, he was in the wine business for seven years or some amount of years before just doing these YouTube videos long before his fame hit him. And it was really just the consistency of continuously putting out the content. And so, you know, I'm six years in and I still tell myself this where while I'm six years in and I've had a lot of success, I'm still kind of new. Like I, you know, it's, it's all about just keeping the information going out and it can be frustrating because it's not overnight success and it can take a long time. But, you know, I almost assume before the 10 year mark that I'm not going to have proven myself to everybody. Like, you know, I'm six years in, I'm a baby in it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really that just it's consistency and even businesses that I am a customer of, I look at the same thing where I go back to companies that are consistent and consistency really takes a little bit of time to prove. So that's, that's the main thing for me is that it's just continuously having my name out there and my, uh, teachings out there, whatever you want to call them, messages out there. Um, and just really being patient, which can be really hard when you're used to being able to tell an airplane what you want it to do. Yeah. Um, I don't know if it's true to assume that instead of using a drone, you just fly over the properties that you try to sell or buy. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, dealing with $18 million in deal in transactions in the last uh, six or five years, um, where do you find the time to be a, a, a flight instructor? Uh, instructor? And how do you feel when you're up there in the sky? Well, now you're getting into my favorite conversation topic, uh, lifestyle design coined a little bit by Tim Ferriss with the four hour work week that he was also me and my mentor, both kind of between Gary Vaynerchuk and Tim Ferriss. We're like, this is, this is what's happening. Um, the biggest thing. And like when I do, I do some business consulting, I help people with business occasionally now. And the big thing that I tell them, and this really actually the message started with Robert Kiyosaki, like he talked about this, but at the time when I read it, I kind of understood what he was saying, but I kind of didn't, is there's a difference between starting a business that you're working in and owning a business. Like you can own a business, but if you're working in it 17 hours a day, you're basically still just an employee, but you happen to own the business versus owning a business that I don't remember how Robert Kiyosaki describes it, but I have people who work for me. So uh, like this week, I got totally distracted with a whole bunch of stuff and I've not been able to work a whole lot. But ultimately, that's had no impact on business because I have people working for me. And so it's this idea of outsourcing. And for a lot of entrepreneurs and control freaks, and I can call you guys that because I used to be one, 
is it's sometimes hard because we're, we tend to be smart people. We're starting a business. We know how to do these things. We want to have our hands and everything. We want to do it how we want to do it. But it's so critical to, at some point, start outsourcing the work because if you don't do that, you become an employee of your own company. So I always think of the example of like, if you open up a cupcake shop, well, great if you open up your own shop, but if you're the only one who's making cupcakes all day, what have you really gained? I mean, other than being able to say you own your own business, whereas with my company and with people who outsource the work, you work yourself out of the position. So if I go disappear for a week, which I do very regularly, nothing gets impacted. And so I actually have, um, sometimes I feel guilty about how much free time I have. And a lot of the motivation for this was flight instructing because when I did it in college, I love teaching flying. I love flying. I love teaching. I just love this thing, but the income, it's not terrible, but it's not something I'd ever want to rely on. And I was always afraid that if I relied on flying instructing for the income that I would end up resenting it because my uh, livelihood would be dependent on instructing. So I always wanted to be in a position where my main income was coming from elsewhere. And then that freed me up to have the time to go flight instruct and great, I get a little extra money, but I'm not dependent on it. And that's exactly what is structured now where um, I, I easily do other things than my business way more than I actually work on my business. And I'm doing a little bit more with my business now, just because I, I, like I said, I'm trying to open up some new, uh, streams of income with it. But right now I'm finishing a book. I still teach flying. I, my biggest thing now is I volunteer in prisons all the time. I'm constantly in prison. Um, and so I have all of that time to do that because of the outsourcing of my company. Cause if I was having to do actually one of my main, one of my main girls, she like, if you email on the website, you'll probably hear from her first. She went camping last summer for like a week. So I had to take over her job. Oh, it was terrible. <laughs> it's like, it, it took so much time. And when I think of how much I pay her versus me doing the work, it really, it's such a critical concept, this idea of outsourcing, because if you're starting a business, you need to have an idea of what you're in it for. Like I was in it for freedom. I wanted more free time. I wanted to run my own stuff. I'm not in it to work another job. And so, you know, a lot of those considerations are huge on the front end because that's, you know, I wanted to be able to flight instruct and it was very important that I structured my business in a certain way so that I could do that. I Perfect. Uh, we have to uh, take our second commercial break. Uh, when you check out uh, hipsterinvestments.com, check their video blogs and connect and follow them via social media. We'll be back following the commercials. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Success doesn't come by chance. It's a decision to take a chance on you. Attending the University of Choice is a goal, but not a guarantee. Dr. Cynthia Colon offers you the formula of going from good, better, to best and increasing those chances of receiving that yes to your dream university. Get the one-to-one -one attention every student needs to succeed. Tune in to Destination University, live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? 
It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England, along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week, and each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Are you finding your frequency? It can be described as that space between failure and success. It's the future of digital media. It's finding your voice. It's engaging topics, content, and ideas. Jeff and Ryan discuss the digital media space and all of its aspects. It's about making the mistakes, taking the chances, summoning the intestinal fortitude to step out of your comfort zone, and discovering what you can accomplish when you decide to try, decide to learn, decide that you have something to say, and find your frequency. Fridays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. are tuned into Taking Care of Business with David Wallach. To reach the program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to dvwallach at gmail.com. That's D-I-V-I Wallach at gmail.com. Now, back to this week's show. We're back for the last uh, session of portion, sorry, of today's episode of Taking Care of Business, my guest, Ali Boone, owner of Hipster Investments. So, Ali, before we went to the commercials, we talked about you being a flying instructor and you, you know, closing so many deals. So, um, do you take, um, you know, your clients up in the sky before they have to sign the waiver? (laughs) (laughs) Nope, they definitely sign waivers ahead of time. (laughs) I see. Okay. You, you mentioned that you volunteer also in, in, in uh, the California state prisons. Can you share with us uh, how important is it uh, for you to volunteer and what, what do you learn from your experience with, with uh, and what do you do there? Oh, man, that's a whole other uh, segment in itself. Um, you know, it was a couple of years. I had heard about this particular project um, through my school, actually. It originated through the spiritual psychology school, and I always wanted to do it. And the first time I went, 
I the two main people that are there, they he used to be an MD. They both work full time jobs, and they're still they do so much with this project, and they're still unpaid. They're volunteers, and I listened to how much time people dedicate to this, and I it hit me in that moment. I was like, you know, I've gotten my company now where I have so much free time that I realized how important it was for me to give back to that. I was like, okay, wait a minute if I keep sucking up all this free time and using it for myself, like karma is going to come flying back at me on that one. Like there's a reason that I have so much free time. And it, in that moment became so important to me to help other people. And, you know, Oh, I could go on and on about the prison and I won't, but you know, for me, there are so many people in prison where, you know, I get to sit across from these men and women. And when I hear their stories, it's like, my God, I, you know, we don't really know that given the exact same circumstances and perceptions and beliefs that these people were given, that we wouldn't do the exact same thing they did. And it's so, you know, it's the only place that I've truly witnessed hopelessness. And not with everybody, but I've seen some true hopelessness and I've seen that turn around. And just seeing that is just, I mean, it's, I, I really, I, I just, I'm obsessed with going to the prison. I'm actually going tomorrow for a weekend workshop. And it's just, it's such a humbling, you know, it kind of takes us out of our own drama. It's like, you know, there are so many people out there that are hurting. You know, we just had a big shooting in California last night. There's a lot going on right now. And being fortunate that I am, that I have this company and I have time and I have the finances. I just, I think it's critical that I help people out with that. I think it's uh, it's amazing that you do that and then keep on doing this. Um, uh, generally, I think volunteering is part of being an entrepreneur as well. Yeah, I agree. Um, let's go back to business. You know, I reviewed your website a few times and I saw that uh, your hipster investment is very big on social media. Uh, how important is it for your business and how do you guys utilize all the media that uh, you're involved with? Honestly, um, to be quite frank, we have sucked with the social media. We, you know, like I said, I'm a big Gary Vaynerchuk advocate and his whole thing is teaching social media. And, uh, we have tried multiple social media marketing attempts, all sorts of stuff, and we have utterly failed. Um, so right now our, our only goal is to just have social media presence. Like we really keep it pretty minimal. I think my marketing girl, we, I don't know. She posts on like Facebook and branches us out to the other things. And, um, we want to utilize that more, but it's, I think once I have the book out, that'll be a little bit easier, but it's because, you know, I'm not selling shoes, I'm selling real estate and it's, it's, that's not an overnight purchase kind of thing. So, you know, I really, I would love to use social media more to be honest, but I, I'm not very, good at it myself so if anyone if anyone listening is a social media expert <laughs> well you know. the, guy, the guy i interviewed uh, the guy i interviewed two weeks ago he's a social media expert oh score <laughs> my way. so um, so i can i can make that connection <laughs> yeah, perfect well and you know but on the same token uh my whole present my company is all online and People, the thing that I've been fortunate with is that we don't, I've tried multiple times for us to go find leads, but it hasn't worked. Like, because I write and my name is out there so much, most everyone comes to us. So, um, in a way, we have been using social media and online and all that. But on another way, like the traditional social media marketing, we've not done well at. Um, but it's, you know, it's, as you know, with entrepreneurship, it's constantly, uh, 
try things. They don't work. Try something. Maybe that yeah. one works. It's it's kind of throwing splatter against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Um, I have one question that has to do with, you know, your experience coming out of the gray cubicle, the way you describe it is, what are some of the do's or don'ts that you would advise today as a mentor to someone that wants to come from behind a gray cubicle to become an entrepreneur and own their own business? I think one of the things, um, I think the most important thing that I witnessed is figuring out or trying to find what comes natural for you. Like I said, way back in the beginning, uh, when we started talking is that real estate, it seems like real estate investing kind of found me. And like I said, I worked really hard for five years trying to find anything, but it, it found me, it came to me. And, you know, all those hundred, 169 other business ideas, I could have done them just kind of with my brain if I really tried but it wasn't what was in my natural grain, if you will. And I think finding that thing is so important because otherwise you're forcing something. So, you know, if I wanted to go buy that hotel and run a hotel, yeah, I could do that, but it's, you know, not to like jump into spiritual psychology about this, but it's, it's following what is in your path or on your path. And maybe you don't know that now. I didn't know it when I started looking, but making the goal to figure out what that thing is, because when you find something that you're natural at, it makes all the world a difference. Like, I mean, I deal with rental properties and they're cool, but like flipping houses sounds cooler and like more money, but it's not, it's just not my thing. Like it doesn't come naturally. And because I ended up finding what was in my natural grain, it, everything, I don't want to say it just laid itself out and it was all super easy. Like I said, I was on a roller coaster financially, emotionally, mentally, you name it for a long time. But I feel like when you kind of strengthen your own strengths and you follow what comes natural to you, you have so much higher a potential of success than if you're just picking something that you think you should do. I think that's the big word is avoid the shoulds because mm -hmm. those shoulds are not really going to get you anywhere. You've got to find the thing that's unique to you, that's natural to you, and go from there. And I, I think that is such a imperative, because I hear so many people come up with a bright, bright idea, and they're like, oh, I'll do this, which was my 169 other business ideas. And it's not, I don't think that's how it works in the best way. Um, let's, for a second, uh, walk into the future. And let's say we're now 10 years from now, 2028. So when you look back, um, what would you like to have accomplished between 2028 and today? Um, this is going to sound uh, possibly super lame. I, to be honest, now I wouldn't change anything right now. Like my whole goal is to get the lifestyle that makes me happy, and my lifestyle right now really makes me happy. And I think back when I was 13, and my goal was to make a gazillion dollars that's no longer my goal because I mean, yeah, if I make a gazillion dollars, that's cool. But right now I get to go snowboarding when I want, I get to go volunteer in prisons. I can go, I go to Mexico a lot. I, you know, I do all these things and I get to sleep in most days. And to me, that's the dream. And I, I'm living that. And so from this point on into the future, I don't know if maybe there was a project, like I'm, I'm going to finish this book. If I never finished a book, I would say that would be one of my regrets, but I'm definitely going to finish the book. Um, but I think that's kind of an important thing is like, if you're thinking about a business, 
what is your lifelong goal and seeing if you can make that happen. In my case, I always say I retired at 30. I still had to work for income and I was on food stamps minus the financial part. I felt like I retired because I was no longer tied to the nine to five type of thing. So instead, you know, if you are 65 or 70 or 75, thinking back on what you'd want now, make it happen now instead of having regrets. So I, it's kind of a lame answer to say that I, I'm, I feel like I'm into a place now where I'm not going to, there's nothing I would rather be doing right now than what I'm doing. Yeah. I want to make some more money, but at the end of the day, that's not the end goal. I see. And uh, you mentioned that you like to sleep in. So what keeps you awake at night? Is there anything that keeps you awake at night? Uh, well, I am a night owl. So I, uh, <laughs> the coolest thing is going to bed when my body wants to go to bed and waking up when my body wants to wake up. Um, and for me, I oftentimes work late at night because during the day, I, I, I bet this will shock you. I get distracted very easily. If someone says hi to me, I'm in a conversation with them. I tend not to get as much work done during the day. I'm either going to the gym, I'm talking to people, I'm finding an excuse to go to lunch, I'm going to Mexico, who knows what I'm doing. And at night, while everyone else kind of goes to bed and does everything, it's very peaceful, it's quieter. I tend to work. Um, I watch... I don't want to say a surprising amount of TV because I don't want it to seem like I'm that lazy, but I do watch a good bit of TV and me and my dog just kind of lounge, watch TV. And then I probably go to bed between anywhere between midnight and 2 a.m. Oftentimes, like it's just, I don't know, but nothing keeps me up other than normal life stuff. I see. Um, Ali, we have uh, about three minutes to the end of uh, this show, and I have a few kind of short questions for you that uh, I'd like you to answer. Um, you know, the first one is, and you'll, you'll have to be short on this one, what have you learned about yourself during, oh, this, ju during this journey? During this I, journey? I have learned that I am nothing of the person I thought I was growing up. I thought I had to be a certain way. I thought I was a certain way. I thought I liked certain things. And it turns out 50% of that was never accurate. I, it's like, oh, okay. I, um, oh, I ha I'm a girl. I have feelings. I learned that about myself. That's, there it is. That's the number one thing I learned is uh, feelings. By the way, uh, <laughs> by the way, men also have feelings. I don't know if you know that, but well, we also yeah. have feelings. <laughs> I've kind of learned, well, and see, I have, I always had the very masculine brain and I was confused on that feelings thing. And it turns out you're right. Men do have feelings. I get to, I've experienced it in the prison quite often. And now I feel better about myself when I have feelings too. My next question, if you had an opportunity right now to invite two people for lunch, coffee, beer, dead or alive, who would you invite? Oh, geez. Um, you know, one of my favorite authors, I really like this guy, Jack Canfield. Um, is he the chicken soup guy? I have his yeah. book, The Success Principles. Um, and I, I've always, for some reason, he always pops in my head as just a really cool um, person. I love The Success Principles. Um, Jack... And you can say me. You absolutely. Okay. Well, I was thinking it, but I didn't want. To, like, I didn't know if that'd be a little aggressive. I see. That's okay. You know, when I come to LA, I always like to dine well and, and have a good drink. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I have my last question, and it is: What is the one thing in your life that you are proud of? I am very proud of. My own journey. I mean, if I was going to be kind of selfish about that, um, you know, really, 
I've gone to very uncomfortable places, whether physically or mentally. Um, and I've always pursued the voice in my head. I feel fortunate that it's a loud voice. Um, but I feel very proud of myself for following that. Um, because I know it can be really hard to do that. I know a lot of people struggle with that. Um, I've had my moments with it, but I really just kind of applaud doing what I felt that I needed to do in the time because it, it wasn't always easy. Food stamps is hilarious and fun to brag about, but it was kind of stressful. Um, yeah, and really just sticking to my guns and just the perseverance side of it because entrepreneurship will test that, absolutely. Ali, really, I want to thank you. Uh, we reached the end of today's episode of Taking Care of uh, Business. Um, it was a pleasure having you. Uh, Ali Boone, owner of Hipster Investments, for being my guest, sharing with us your entrepreneurship spirit, the road to your success. Uh, I wish you continued success and all the best. And as I said, if you decide to come and uh, ski in Canada, by all means, uh, more than happy to buy you lunch and, and uh, continue our conversation. Thank you guys for your feedback uh, and emails. Please keep on emailing and, and send your feedback as well as guest suggestions to dvwallach at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and Instagram, like us on Facebook, and connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, I will meet you here at www.voiceamerica.com variety with a new guest next Tuesday, December 4th at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific, your host, David Wallach. Thank you for listening to Taking Care of Business. Please join David Wallach again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Until we talk again, make your week as great as you want it.